Welcome to Addressing Alaskans, where we feature community conversations around South Central Alaska. Join us on Alaska Public Media as we travel throughout our community and listen to local groups discuss what matters to them. Thanks for joining us today for Addressing Alaskans. As part of an upcoming project called Talk to Your Neighbor, Alaska Public Media will be featuring programming addressing COVID-19 vaccines and vaccine hesitancy in our community. The main segment from today's program comes from the third annual Betty Davis African American Summit. We'll hear Christian religious leaders speak about the intersection of faith and fighting the pandemic. The summit took place back in October of last year, so we'll begin the program with a segment from a recent Talk of Alaska episode discussing the Omicron variant. Host Lori Townsend speaks first. Most of us are tired of worrying about COVID-19. For healthcare workers, the level of fatigue is even more severe, and the emotional turmoil around the wide-ranging reactions that healthcare professionals have had to grapple with, from protests about wearing masks and getting vaccinated to confusion about treatments, it's taking a huge toll. This is being exacerbated by the Omicron variant's fast spread, affecting already thin healthcare worker ranks. Case numbers have been higher in recent days than at any time in the pandemic. What is the current outlook for the next few weeks, and how are the women and men of medicine dealing with it all? Here to help us better understand the challenges is Jared Cosen. Jared is the president and CEO of the State Hospital and Nursing Home Association. Also with us today is Alaska's chief medical officer, Dr. Ann Zink, and state epidemiologist, Dr. Dr. Joe McLaughlin. Both are with the State Department of Health and Social Services. Welcome, all of you. Jared, start us off here. You have a daily statewide call with hospital staff. What are you hearing in those calls about staffing challenges right now? Thanks, Lori. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah, we, you know, we're two years in now, and I use the word we because we really are a pretty tight unit at this point. And I mean, both us at the hospitals and nursing homes and healthcare facilities, and then, of course, our state partners, Dr. Zink, Dr. McLaughlin, and the health team. Um, and we all meet every single morning uh, at about 9.30, and we have a stand-up meeting and discuss what are, what are the latest pressures, how do the last 24 hours look, how do the next 24 hours look. And the main concern on everyone's mind right now are uh, staff calling out due to illness. And we know this is impacting us, it's impacting everybody, uh, but we are definitely in the thick of it right now, and uh, we're all watching the clock to see when is this thing going to pass because it's getting pretty intense. And is the is the concern uh, across the board for hospitals and nursing homes, or is it primarily uh, concerns over staffing shortages in hospitals? Uh, both, both any healthcare facility at this point, and I'd say any industry at this point. Um, we're everybody is. Uh, seemingly getting sick or exposed, and then in the healthcare environment, generally speaking, you know, those staff members are going to be quarantined or pulled off the line, and so that has a direct impact on our ability to provide care. So, you know, where we're watching it from, we're watching both our hospitals and nursing homes because both environments can be vulnerable to this, and we are seeing uh, high volumes of callouts right now. Are the facilities reporting that they have supply shortages, either for protective equipment or other medical supplies, right now? Generally, no. Um, you know, I've said this before. I, I can't believe it. You know, the Delta surge was essentially yesterday on our timeline, if we really think about it. I think all of us kind of have put it behind us as we're all fatigued and, and looking past this. But it really was uh, essentially yesterday. We were just past it. And so we're, you know, now you know, absorbing another escalation, another set of stressful circumstances. 
And the point I'm trying to make is we're pretty battle tested. So believe it or not, we're managing. Uh, now the supplies uh, generally, uh, there, there are a few shortages uh, that we're hearing reports on. There are some issues with the therapies that are available, and Dr. Zink would be uh, better at speaking to that. But now generally, this is kind of like before. Um, different set of circumstances, of course, same challenge, uh, making it through a really intense situation when we're seeing rising admissions and reduced capacity to serve those admissions. But uh, we do have the experience, and hopefully this situation is going to be over a lot faster. That's what we're all hoping for. During the peak of the Delta variant surge, hospitalizations were at 250. What are you seeing right now for numbers in this surge? Sure. Right now, uh, we're right around, I'd say, the 100 mark, which means if you were to count all the people in a hospital who are admitted there uh, with a COVID-19 diagnosis, uh, right now they're around 100 or 103. And as you just said, back in Delta during our peak, we were over 250. So if you just look at that metric, that doesn't feel so bad. Uh, this is different because during Delta, uh, we did not, we, we were fuller, we had higher levels of staffing. Uh, we were better equipped uh, from a staffing standpoint to actually meet the challenge head on. Now with this, like other industries are experiencing, a lot of people are getting sick. Thankfully, it's less severe. Thankfully, with people being vaccinated and boosted, the severity uh, drops considerably. So it's a means of basically pulling people out of the lineup. And the less people you have to be inside the facility providing care uh, directly shrinks your capacity to provide care. So we could have all the hospital beds in the world right now, but we have so few staff that we can only administer or staff a select number of them. And so when you kind of think of it that way, 103 admissions may not feel so bad if this was Delta, but with how many staff we have out every single day, the crunch and the intensity feels a lot like Delta. On the line today, we have Jared Kosen, president and CEO of the State Hospital and Nursing Home Association, Alaska's chief medical officer, Dr. Ann Zink, state epidemiologist, Dr. Joan McLaughlin, are all with us. Dr. Zink, uh, Jared was just talking about um, this uh, Omicron variant being less severe, especially for people who are vaccinated. But the Associated Press reported this morning that deaths are climbing and that and this is a shocking number. They are reporting that 50 to 300,000 more Americans could die by mid-March from Omicron. Do you think this projection is accurate? And when you look at this current surge, the third in the pandemic, what most concerns you for the next few weeks here in Alaska? Yeah, no, thank you so much for having us on and for being here you know, we have been through a lot in the past couple of years, and we are in a new phase in the pandemic in many ways. We do see that the Omicron variant looks to be causing less severe disease. Um, and we're seeing that both in the rate of cases compared to the rate of hospitalization, but we're also seeing it in some other subdata. When you look at people who are hospitalized nationally, it looks like a lot of them have Delta, don't actually have the Omicron. Uh, and very few people, if any, are really needing ventilators or additional support uh, from an ICU perspective from that end. So we do know that when we have a very transmissible disease like we have with Omicron, we will see many people who will not feel well and will be sick as uh, unfortunately Jared and his teams are experiencing and many uh, across the state are experiencing 
working and being out, and that's causing some significant shortages in the workforce. But we are seeing both from the way that this virus has changed, but also in the way that many people are either vaccinated or previously were infected, have some degree of protection against severe disease, uh, has been uh, very useful at helping to minimize that severe disease. It's part of the reason we keep uh, encouraging boosters. We do see better protection if someone is completely up to date on their vaccination. And so we want to emphasize that tool and additional tools like masking and distancing can also be helpful. But compared to the Delta, this uh, virus, this change, it is markedly different than what we saw with Delta. I don't know, Dr. McLaughlin, anything else you'd add in that space? You know, I think that is that really summarizes it well, Dr. Zink. Um, Lori, as you mentioned, we are seeing increased uh, hospitalizations as well as deaths, but compared to the numbers of cases that we're seeing with Omicron, in uh, looking back at the Delta wave, for example, proportionately, we saw a lot higher proportion of cases that wound up uh, resulting in severe disease than we're seeing with Omicron. So that's that's definitely the good news. And we're also seeing a number of reports coming out uh, in the medical literature as well that are really documenting this and demonstrating the lower severity overall. Well, Dr. McLaughlin, sticking with you for a moment here, there's been reporting that the Omicron variant doesn't, as we've been discussing, doesn't cause the same level of severe illness as Delta, but some people are still getting very ill. What are you learning about the differences in the variants? And are you seeing sort of like hybrids between Delta and Omicron or, or potentially new variants on arising? Great. Thank you for that question. So with respect to um, just severity overall and what's different about Omicron compared to, let's just take comparison with Delta. We know that Delta was the most transmissible variant until Omicron came along. Once Omicron came along, that def what the current CDC estimate is that it's about three times more transmissible than Delta. So it's much, much more transmissible. Um, and we already talked about the fact that Omicron um, is associated with less severity of disease overall. So that's, that's really good. Uh, a couple other things that we're seeing that are different with Omicron is the incubation period, which is the time from infection to the time from symptom onset is shorter. Uh, it's probably on the order of maybe two to three days on average. So about a day or so shorter than Delta. And remember, that the incubation period was shorter uh, with Delta than it had been with uh, previous variants. Um, you know, I think in terms of hybrid viruses, that certainly is a possibility. I'm sure people have heard of, you know, some of these hybrid viruses like uh, Deltacron, I think is the name that has been given. Um, we're just not seeing high numbers of those. We know that um, Omicron right now is by far and away the dominant vari variant that is circulating globally. And we expect that to be the case uh, for uh, the weeks ahead. Um, and there are other variants that are emerging as well. Um, one out of West Africa that recently emerged, but none of the none of the other variants that we've seen sort of get documented have been able to outcompete Omicron. And what's known about why the variant uh, is less severe than Delta? Is it because of the way people's immune systems have affected what they're passing on? Or what can you tell us about, is there hope on the horizon that maybe variants will get, will continue to be um, less uh, lethal? 
Right. I can start with that. That's a, it's a great question. Early on, the reason why uh, people were so hesitant of saying that Omicron is intrinsically less virulent than Delta or other variants uh, is because there was such a high level of prior immunity in the population, especially in South Africa. We know that South Africa had experienced a really uh, severe Delta surge where a lot of people got infected. Um, one of the things, one of the other things that I didn't mention about Omicron that's different is its ability to evade prior immunity, either from uh, prior infection with a different variant or from vaccination. And so we were seeing this big surge of Omicron in South Africa, and we didn't know if the lower virulence, the lower hospitalization and death rates that we were seeing in, in South Africa was due just to the fact that so many of the people were getting a repeat infection, and so the severity was lower. But I think with the, the new data that we have uh, that's continuing to emerge globally, I think it is becoming more and more clear that Omicron is intrinsically less virulent than other strains. And the reasons for that are probably multifold. I know that many of the listeners know that Omicron has a lot of mutations that make it different than other uh, viruses uh, or other variants. And some of those mutations likely contribute to the lower virulence. I don't know, Dr. if there's anything you would add to that. Yeah, no, I appreciate all that, uh, Dr. McLaughlin. I think the other things I would add is clinically, we're just seeing a really different picture with this. So with Delta, we saw people could initially get sick, have you know fever, shortness of breath, nausea, vomiting, and then start to improve. And then really between days like seven and 10, some people started to get markedly worse as the body started to have a lot more inflammation. And that was what was causing people to be so sick and to be hospitalized for extended periods of time. We're seeing less of that kind of biphasic nature with Omicron. We're seeing people just, it, it honestly looks more like the flu. It's a, it's a course kind of more upfront um, where people aren't feeling well for a bit of time. It does look like it replicates much more in the upper airways than the lower airways. And this is thought to add to the severity component as well. So just as Dr. McLaughlin mentioned, there's previous immunity from past infection, there's vaccination, there's those who are boosted. We have a much better understanding of COVID now. We also have a whole bunch of treatments that we didn't have available before, but this virus has really changed for being able to replicate in the upper airways and not causing kind of this biphasic and this huge inflammatory response that puts such a burden on our hospitals and where we saw so many people becoming so ill uh, and, and, and sick for a long time. So uh, from, a, from an overall mortality perspective, you know, any sort of virus is rapidly spreading. There's always that concern, uh, but this does look very different than Delta. That was from a recent episode of Talk of Alaska discussing the Omicron variant. Now let's hear from faith leaders who spoke at the Betty Davis African American Summit on COVID-19 that took place in October of last year. Thank God for each of you who are, are present as, as of now, both in-house and on live stream. Uh, we've entitled this session this morning, God Breathe, Faith, Community, and COVID-19. And uh, I am Pastor Leon D. May the first. I am the president of the Interdenominational Ministerial Alliance of Anchorage and Vicinity, as well as the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Foundation of Alaska. I serve on the executive committee of the Chugash Baptist Association and on the Anchorage Health Department Coronavirus Advisory Council. I'm presently the pastor of River in the Desert Community Church of Anchorage. Alaska, been in ministry over 41 years, and uh, we're, we're, we're glad to be here. And uh, since this is a God-breathed hour, 
we do need God to breathe into this pandemic, into this, this COVID-19 uh, situation that we're in, to breathe into our city, our state, our nation, and our world, uh, that God would breathe some life. In the beginning, he breathed the breath of life into a clay house, and man became a living soul. We need God to breathe into this circumstance and, and situation. Uh, yes, we do, have, we do have some presenters uh, that will deal with the intersection of faith and COVID on, on this morning. And uh, first up will be the Reverend Dr. Alonzo B. Patterson, uh, Jr., who, who is an acknowledged living legend by the IMA. Uh, he served 72 years in ministry, including about 47 years as pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church of Anchorage. He's now the pastor emeritus of uh, said church. And presently, uh, Dr. Patterson, uh, he serves as the director of Alaska Ministries for the American Baptist Churches USA and as, and as executive minister for the Alaska Baptist Churches. The next up will be the Reverend Dr. Francis A. Reed, who served over 53 years in ministry, have served in a numerous uh, in numerous pastorates. Uh, she is an author, author of the book Overcoming Addictions, A Guide to Restoring Addiction-Damaged Relationships, and that book is available on Amazon.com. She is presently the pastor of the Empowerment Temple, uh, African-American uh, Episcopal Zion Church. And uh, following Dr. Reed will be Dr. Ulysses W. Burley III. He's the founder of You Be The Cure, a consulting company on the intersection of faith, health, and human rights with expertise in HIV and AIDS. Uh, yes, he currently is a faith, currently is a faith community engagement ambassador uh, for the COVID-19 Prevention Network Faith Initiative to connect with diverse faith communities to share evidence-based information regarding uh, COVID-19 and vaccines and antibodies being developed for its prevention. He holds memberships on a number of boards, the most recent of which is the Advocate Healthcare Board of Directors. Uh, his professional mantra is to treat people and not just disease. And following Dr. Burley will be uh, Pastor Andre Parker, who's been in ministry for 17 years, almost four years in the pastorate, uh, succeeding Dr. Patterson at the Shiloh Church of Anchorage uh, here in Alaska. And uh, he currently serves as the Alaska Baptist Church's State Education Director, the Executive Secretary for the Interdenominational Ministry Alliance of Anchorage. Uh, he is a member of the Clinical Pastoral Education Professional Advisory uh, Group. He's an adjunct professor at Wayland Baptist University in Anchorage, where he teaches Old and New Testament uh, survey. And uh, following uh, Pastor Parker, uh, will be Ben O'Dell, who serves within the Center for Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Ben is a recognized expert on facilitating partnerships between faith-based, philanthropic, and community organizations and government at all levels. Throughout his 19-year tenure, 
in the center, Ben served in many roles, including just recently as an advisor at the White House Partnerships Office and as designated federal officer to the President's Advisory Council of Faith-Based and neighbor Neighborhood Partnerships. Uh, yes, and so, and yours truly will be the final presenter as time allows. Would you allow us to, uh, to acknowledge God our Father in a word of prayer? God and our Father, we do thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your breath of life. Thank you for breathing into this session, breathing into this day. Thank you for breathing into our community, our state, our nation, our world. God, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. We need you to to handle up on this particular pandemic. God, we need you to put it away even now, even now, even now. God, we thank you for grace and mercy and sustaining power. Uh, breathe and blow upon these participants, these presenters on this morning that you might be glorified in the process and we might re receive the good thereof. In the name of Jesus, even our Christ, we do pray. Our first presenter will be none other than the uh, Reverend Dr. Alonzo B. Patterson, Jr. Good morning and welcome. I'm glad to be here this morning. I would say briefly in the few moments I have that my assignment is to alert you to the urgency of life in the midst of us and not to neglect the blessings when God has placed them within your reach. Uh, there is a passage in the book of Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, and 19th and 20th verse. It says, I call heaven and earth to witness that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life that you and your offspring may live and have the pleasure, unquote, of long life and understanding. In this age, when we come to the role of the church or the faith community, uh, and of course, then the role of our society uh, we this morning, I want to urge you from the uh, pinnacle of, of the church socially that to get involved in surviving, anybody can die when they want to, but it takes effort to live. I want to share with you that the church is busy in the community doing some things, and I may just lift briefly. One of the major components is at the Shiloh uh, Ministry Center, there are several pieces that are taking place to help you choose life. Uh, we have there the, uh, of course, the uh, Shiloh Community Development um, Corporation and the Shiloh Community Housing, the uh, A.B. Patterson uh, Ministry, uh, the Community Table. Uh, we have our studio there, and uh, we have quite a bit of thing going on. To this point, we have been serving, and this year, uh, we have brought into the community uh, the, the corporation that are there as one unit have brought in over a million dollars into the community for the purpose of helping you to have life rather than allowing yourself to pass on. And we have served once again over 9,000 uh, persons in the past year and, and so, and continue to serve. That's because we want you as the people of God uh, and as God's creation to have life. and. I believe it is John 10.10 and 10 says, you know, uh, the thief come but to kill and steal, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, which suggests to me that there are two elements of life. One is social life is worth saving rather than throwing it away, and two, eternal life, uh, which is essential if you're going to spend any time beyond the waking hours of this life itself. 
I want to encourage you. God has a witness today, and that is the uh, community of faith that he has challenged you. You don't have to die, but live. And I want to encourage you to do that as we go forward in the next few minutes that I have. I also want to challenge you that then before us now that will give us life is uh, the shots that you take. I want to encourage you, stop letting the rumors uh, deprive you of hope into the future, but take the shot uh, rather than the pot. Let me coin a phrase here. It is crucial for you because one shot can give you life. No shot will assure you death in this day and time. This is not the first pandemic we had, but it's the first one that we've lived through possibly in our generation. And I always say that we are called to encourage you in our community and in our society. We want you to live because we have a great future ahead of us. John said it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we'll be like him. Some of you say, Man, I'm, not, I'm not a Christian, but you're a creation of God. Some say, I may not go to church, but you breathe the same air. And some say, I don't care about the rest of you. Well, we care about you. And so we encourage you to take the shot. You take the shot, take the shot and not the pot. Wear the mask because that's the task. Wash your hands because that's the plan. And we want you to work with that. And that's what God is calling us to do if you're going to survive in this generation. And I want to say this to you in my closing, that if you, if you don't take the shot, uh, we will give you a beautiful funeral. Because you're going to die and not live if you don't follow the instruction. I would like for you to live. And you say, I don't have to take the shot. Well, I tell you what, I've been fixed, so give me six. Uh, I, I don't want to be that close to you when I've taken my two shots and my booster shot and covered up with my math and washed my hands and did all of that. And then you want to come and lay hands on me. That's sure death. So my friends and my loved ones and my community comrades and my, those who care about yourself, God is calling us in our role to be, be concerned about all of society. I'm grateful to the Alaska Black Caucus for uh, calling us together here to honor a great woman and statesman who's gone on to be with the Lord, a Christian for excellence, a statesman who has been concerned about humanity, a social worker in the community, a teacher of the word of God, a mother, a father, and a lady for excellence. I want to, us to remember her today because if Betty was here, what would she say? Take the shot so you can stay. Bless you. Good morning to all of you. It is my pleasure and my joy once again to have the opportunity to come before the body of Christ. I am Dr. Frances Ann Reed, and I'm a little nervous, but I think I'll be all right, amen? I see friends in the, in the audience. On February 26, 2020, about 2.40 p.m., I landed at the Ted Stevens International Airport from Nairobi, Kenya, with revival on my mind. Somewhere between the airport and the church, I heard of a disease that could significantly infect, not only affect Anchorage or Alaska, but the entire world. They said it was growing faster and spreading wider than anything 
they've ever heard or experienced. I don't remember my response because revival was on my mind. However, at the last days of March 2020, on the first end of this disease, a global pandemic is known as the coronavirus, or technically, coronavirus disease 2019, shortly after abbreviated COVID-19. This virus affects the lungs and in the worst cases, kills by suffocation. Here we are today, 586 days later, gathered in this auditorium on this auspicious occasion to honor the legacy of an extremely daring, brave sister, Senator Betty Davis. Yet, we cannot forget that due to corona, there has been hundreds of thousands of cases of infection worldwide with tens of thousands of deaths. Though many of us are practicing social distancing, social mingling, traveling, conferences, church gatherings, theaters, restaurants, sporting events, and businesses, we've witnessed life as we know it has come to be a near standstill. This unprecedented crisis in our nation and the world that COVID-19 has created has canceled significant events and activities. We have seen the closing of our schools, parents forced to take on ro the role of the teacher or homeschooling. At the same time, our educational system transitioned to online learning. We live in a time when the fragile form of this world is felt. The seemingly solid foundations are still shaking. Some seems to have a different idea concerning the times in which we live and how we should respond to this coronavirus. Many are overwhelmed and many are just simply confused. At the same time, others dismiss the government's mandate and warnings as an overreaction. So allow me to bring it down to where the rubber meets the road. Do we vaccinate or not? The decision is yours. Just keep in mind that deciding not to decide is a decision. Flirting with, respectfully disrespecting the severity of COVID-19 while ignoring or refusing to be vaccinated, we could very well be playing with the screws on our coffins. Playing the odds is a fragile place to put our hope. Odds like 3% versus 10% youth versus old age, compromised health versus no history of the disease, rural versus urban, self-isolated versus home meeting with friends, virtual versus on-site, and vaccination 
versus no vaccination. Playing the odds provides little hope. It is not a firm place to stand. The question we should be asking is, do we have a rock under our feet? A rock that cannot be shaken ever. There is a better way. There is a better place to stand. A rock of certainty rather than the sand of possibilities. When choosing whether to get vaccinated or not, it should be an informed decision and not rooted in fear. Choosing not to be vaccinated during a global pandemic impact the well-being of your family, your friends, and fellow neighbors. If we want to move forward from this virus, we need to take the mandate to vaccinate serious. As I close, God mandates that we love our neighbors as ourselves. When Jesus was asked which of the greatest commandment in the law, he answered with two commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. This means protecting your neighbor from sickness and from harm. When a person chooses not to be vaccinated, they are risking the lives of their families and endangering the lives of all their encounters. Ultimately, being vaccinated puts your neighbor's life first and is for the public good. As I depart this podium in your presence, my prayer is that we will join together in choosing to respond to this crisis, this mandate, with peace instead of panic and with faith instead of fear. Dr. Francis Ann Reed, God bless you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Reed. Next, next up will be uh, Dr. Ulysses W. Burley III of You Be the Cure. And as it relates to today, our faith community engagement ambassador, Dr. Burley. Uh, thank you for that kind introduction, Reverend May, and for the comments of the previous presenters. Let me say how blessed I feel to share in this event, honoring the legacy of a woman who embodied so authentically all of the identities that I have attempted to build my career on. Senator Betty Davis was a healthcare professional, a social justice warrior, and a person of deep faith. The world is a better place because she chose to show up in her fullness each and every time, no matter where she was, be it the state house or the schoolhouse or the church house. So again, thank you to the organizers of the Betty Davis African-American Summit for this invitation. I do not take it lightly. Uh, again, I am Dr. Ulysses Burley, and I'm the founder of UB The Cure, LLC, a faith, health, and human rights organization where we treat people and not just disease. I founded UB The Cure from my own experience as a healthcare provider, realizing that we couldn't meet the full health needs of people in hospitals alone and that there needed to be more attention given to the social drivers of disease to achieve a more complete wellness for society. As a person of deep faith, like Senator Davis, my pursuit of that complete wellness has largely been informed by the very prominent themes of healing and sanctity of life across all sacred texts. 
And these last 20 months, I probably relied on my faith as much as, if not more than, my public health training to make sense of this once-in-a-lifetime COVID-19 pandemic. Both have been the basis for my work as a faith ambassador with the COVID-19 Prevention Network, which was formed by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases to bring together the expertise of research networks and global partners to prevent COVID-19 disease by rapidly and thoroughly evaluating United States government-sponsored COVID-19 vaccines and antibodies. As you know, COVID-19 has and continues to impact entire communities with a disproportionate effect on communities of color. These communities include people of faith. Understanding the important role that belief systems play in one's decisions about their health. My colleagues and I have been connecting with these faith communities of color in an effort to share the most current and factual information regarding COVID-19 and vaccines and antibodies being developed for its prevention. In the 14 months since the COVPN Faith Initiative launched, seven faith ambassadors who are geographically distributed across the United States have established, trained, and enhanced networks of faith and community leaders to conduct COVID-19 educational activities for communities most impacted by COVID-19, namely Black, Latinx, and Native and Indigenous peoples. The collective efforts of the COVPN Faith Initiative have reached hundreds of thousands of people across hundreds of events that have helped them move from COVID ignorance to COVID competency, from vaccine hesitancy to vaccine acceptance and accessibility, and from medical mistrust to medical accountability and reconciliation. And it's not because we have information that isn't available to the general public. It's because we are willing to meet people who need the information the most where they are which is sometimes at church or a mosque or a synagogue or a temple or on a reservation or a social location that isn't necessarily a physical place, but a space where people feel at home. That's where health outcomes are impacted. In fact, it is estimated that medical care accounts for only 10 to 20% of the modifiable contributors to healthy outcomes for a population. The other 80% happens within the framework of the social determinants of health, which play out in one's neighborhood and built environment, including where people worship. In many ways, we see our work of fostering intentional relationships between the biomedical community and faith communities as a form of reconciliation of the long-held belief that what's scientific and what's sacred are somehow at odds with one another. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Faith much like scientific research, is rooted in the desire for abundant life for all, with healing as a key tenet. There's no better example of this than in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. Countless acts of restoration that not only mended the physical, but repaired the psychosocial. And at the foundation of it all was breath. According to the prophet Ezekiel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. COVID-19 is a respiratory disease that quite literally takes our breath away. With more than 5 million deaths worldwide and 636,000 deaths in the United States, the COVID-19 pandemic is now the deadliest pandemic in American history, surpassing the 1918 Spanish flu. Perhaps the biggest tragedy of all is that it didn't have to be this way. And it doesn't have to continue to be this way. 
God gave us an opportunity to restore breath in our bodies, to live again with highly effective vaccines and associated treatments. Vaccines and treatments that have saved millions of lives in preventing severe illness and death. Therefore, the participation in an effective COVID-19 vaccine that is bringing wellness and wholeness to the world is not just theoretical or scientific, but it's theological and spiritual as well. It only makes sense that the faith community is an active partner in any endeavor to heal the world. And there's a lot of healing left to be done. But let us take this moment to bask in new rays of hope as we seek to safeguard our communities against the viral threat of COVID-19, let us find inspiration in our willingness to rally together in these ways to defeat a virus that took our breath away. Let each COVID-19 vaccine given to our neighbors and our loved ones and our friends be a reminder of our ability to overcome seemingly insurmountable odds. Saints, we have all the science and medicine we need to end the COVID-19 pandemic as a public health crisis. What we need now more than ever is to treat people and not just disease. Beginning with you, beginning with me, beginning with us. Let the legacy of Senator Betty Davis live triumphant in our determination to breathe in spite of doubt. Our determination to breathe in spite of mistrust and misinformation and our determination to breathe in spite of fear. For God has not given us a spirit, spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind to do right by ourselves and each other. Get vaccinated if you haven't. Get a booster shot when you're eligible. And if you still need more information, seek out credible and trusted messages in your community all while continuing to wash your hands, watch your distance, and wear your mask. God bless you and thank you. You're listening to Addressing Alaskans on Alaska Public Media. Today's program features speakers from the Betty Davis African American Summit discussing the intersection of faith and fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you. Well, good morning and God blessings. And the peace of God be upon you. As been mentioned already, my name is Andre Parker. I'm the senior pastor at Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church here in Anchorage. I do want to take an opportunity to thank the Alaska Black Caucus and all those that have helped to make this uh, third annual Betty Davis African American COVID-19 Summit what it is. Uh, let me go ahead and say up front real quick before I go anywhere else. I believe in the vaccine. I believe in the mask. I believe in uh, physical distancing. Uh, I believe in doing what each one of us need to do to make sure uh, to the best of our ability we can eradicate this virus in our country as soon as possible. With that said, I do wear my mask. I have been fully vaccinated. On Tuesday, I'm getting a booster if the Lord wills, and I'm going to make sure I stay away from all those folk that I'm not sure of. And I think you know what I mean by that. Our church has hosted COVID-19 vaccination sites. We are hoping to do pop-up clinics in the future. I say that to say this. I support all of the efforts that are being taken to eradicate this virus. Let me further state that I have not 
done studies in medicine, but I have done studies in ministry. Haven't done studies in disease, but I have done studies in divinity. Therefore, I stick to what I know. And when I need to know what's going on with this pandemic, I talk to the professionals. And I will say to all of you that are out there saying that masks don't work, COVID vaccines don't work, I would ask you to make sure you put your credentials up there with them. Because when I need to know whether it works or it doesn't work, I call a doctor. I call those that have been working with this, that have given their lives to help us be better. And as believers of Jesus Christ, I believe we ought to know that God has put them in place for a reason. I heard somebody say this pandemic breathes, takes the breath away from us, but yet I believe God can breathe life into us. And I don't know who came up with this theme, God breathes, but I believe it's a good theme, and therefore I will stick with what is listed. The Bible does not shy away from the world and trouble. It launches each of us into a deep revelation of who we are and what life is all about. From the Genesis account of creation canvas at the backdrop of a premortal chaos to the seemingly indiscriminate destruction of life caused by a universal flood. From the promise of a nation's birth out of Sarah's barren womb to Israel's brutal uh, creation from the bowels of cruel bondage in Egypt, from the establishment of Israel in Canaan to their disestablishment through exile in Babylon, proceeding to their life in Roman-occupied Palestine from Herod's most uh, unpoetic massacre of the young uh, to the guilt-burden suicide of Judas, from the state-sanctioned murder of a blameless uh, teacher to the committed martyrdom of the apostles, from the scattered pleas of the New Testament saints to the desperate cries of faithful martyrs hiding under the altar of God. And through the Bible does not shy away from this world of pain and suffering. It does offer us hope, help, assurance, confidence, peace, deliverance, rest, victory, comfort, in all things. So if I may close with what I do know and not what I don't know. And what I do know is that God breathes and God breathes through his word. And if I may leave anybody with any type of comfort on this day, let it be from the word of God. Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the thoughts that I know think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Psalm 23 and 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Romans 8, 35, 37, 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And may I even add, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword or COVID, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Psalm 56, 3 and 4, whatever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I have put my trust. I would not fear what can flesh do to me. Isaiah 41 and 10, fear not, for I am 
with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And finally, Revelation 2, 7 211, 217, 229, 36, 313, 322. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches and all the people. God bless you and stay safe in Jesus' name. Uh, thank you, Pastor Parker. And uh, at this time, we'll be favored with Mr. Ben Odell, who's live streaming. Thank you so much. And it is a pleasure, a joy to be with you all today here. I want to thank Pastor May for this invite uh, to participate as well as all the organizers of the Betty Davis African-American COVID-19 Summit for the important conversation we're having today. Now, I have to say, I didn't prepare, come prepared to be as inspired and as encouraged as I have been by all the amazing words that we've heard this morning. I have to say, though, you've heard the inspiration. I'm coming with the information now. I want to be here to support and encourage and lift up all this amazing work because, as we've heard so powerfully today, faith can and does make a difference. It makes a difference on many things, but it makes a difference on vaccines too. How we talk about them, how we encourage and support others to get them, how we care and support, how we love our neighbors. That's why it's something that we know well in the HHS Center for Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships and why the past four administrations have kept this work in place because our country leaders know that faith makes a difference. Well, you know, research shows that faith makes a difference too. A research report from a reputable uh, PRRI survey firm found that four in 10 vaccine hesitant Americans who attend religious services at least a few times a year say that one or more faith-based approaches would make them more likely to get vaccinated. Even among people who are vaccine refusers, some of the people we're talking about today that are just so hesitant to get this vaccine, these approaches can be effective. Nearly one in five Americans who say they would refuse the vaccine say that one or more faith-based approaches would make them more likely to get vaccinated. That's more people in our community getting this health-saving vaccine that would make such a difference for all of us in our communities. So it's great when research tells us something that many of you, many I knew, but then we see the research, we see that supported, and so, but we already knew that. So we started building resources very early on in this administration to make sure that faith and community-based groups knew about and had the resources available. There are many different resources that are available that the government and it has worked with partners to provide. Those include resources like um, getvaccineanswers.org, which can give you a wide range of resources and opportunities to get information. Within that environment, there's a specifically a Black Faith Community Toolkit, which, is which was worked on and developed with faith and community leaders from the African-American community that, that gives answers and gives strategies and ideas for ways in which these resources can come together. And it was supported by the Ad Council and Department of Health and Human Services and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Many of the national leaders who are trying to make sure this information gets translated so that the community has resources it needs. But this is also going on in individual denominations. Um, there's also a resource from the Progressive National Baptist that is specifically tailored to that tradition. And we just wanna encourage more and more work like this to continue to connect to resources. But the CDC has also funded uh, worship action coalition guides that help you know how to, set, how to help facilitate vaccine access, how to develop vaccine messaging so that it makes sense and connects to your community where you're at. And we've already heard some amazing examples of that today. 
as well as setting up your own immunization site, how faith and community-based groups can host uh, vaccination sites in your community. Um, along with that, there are resources on wecandothis.hhs.gov that are tailored and developed specifically for our faith and community partners, videos, handout resources, um, um, guides of various sources, sorts and abilities, short and long, that can give you additional information that can make such a difference in the ways in which we can get this information out into the community. So we're here at, in, in DC and as a part of this administration to bring and to help and support and to strengthen and celebrate as well the amazing things we've heard today. And that's why we're so honored to be part of this conversation uh, today. But let me end by encouraging us not to think that this moment of partnering and working together on COVID-19 needs to be the end. Really, it needs to be the beginning of reaching out to our public health departments uh, with our, our health leaders and asking, what are some of the other ways we can take the work that we've done to date and strengthen and grow this work in our community? So we have research that shows that we can address diabetes and hypertension. We can address um, uh, heart health. We can address mental health. There are any number of challenges that we see in our community. And we know, and I think you know as well, through this crisis that we've seen, the faith and community-based partners can make a huge difference, not just on COVID-19, but on the many public health challenges that we face moving forward. So let's partner together. Let's work together on some of these resources. Let's leverage these strategies. Let's leverage our voices, lifting up our voices to address these challenges. And then let's work together moving forward to address all the many challenges our community faces as we seek to increase the health, increase the wellness of everyone in our community. I'm so pr privileged to be with you all today. Thank you for allowing me to join electronically. Uh, and uh, we so appreciate what we've heard and what we will continue to hear and continue to celebrate as you leaders there in Alaska and around the country and really around the world help us solve this challenge together. Thanks so much for the privilege of being with you all today. All right, I do want to take a moment to thank uh... Uh, as well, the Alaska Black Caucus for the continued commemoration and memorialization of uh, one Senator Betty Davis. Express my appreciation to all of the presenters uh, on today, expressly Dr. Burley and Mr. Ben O'Dell. Thank God for uh, each of them as, as well. Uh, in conclusion, in conclusion, one aspiring editor has posed the question, and that question is, do we trust God or do we trust the vaccine? And my response to that would be that it's not either or, but it's both and. It's not either or, but it's both and. For me personally, I trust the science in God's hands. I trust the medicine in God's hands. I trust the vaccine in God's hands. I trust the mask in God's hands. I trust social distancing in God's hands. I trust hand washing in God's hands. So it's not either or, but it's, but, but it's both and. The scripture records in, 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 in the Psalms, the psalmist writes in that 127th number of the Psalms, uh, except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except uh, the Lord keep the city, the watchman 
waketh but in vain. Uh, Proverbs 21 and 31 says that the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. And I stand to say that it's all about God. Without God, we can do nothing. But with God, indeed, all things are possible. Uh, what are you saying? I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying we have to trust God. The builder has to keep building, but God is the builder. The watchman has to stay awake, but God keeps the city. The horse is prepared, but safety is of the Lord. And so it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all in God's hands. Uh, I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but uh, all of my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, wholly leaning unto Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking, saying, on Christ, not on the science, on Christ, not on the medicine, on Christ, not on the vaccine, on Christ, not on the mask, on Christ, not on the social distancing, on Christ, not on the hand washing, but on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. It's all in God's hands. Uh, I come by to tell you, trust God and vaccinate. Trust God and mask up. Trust God and social distance. Trust God and wash your hands. Put it all in God's hands. Don't hate. Vaccinate. God bless you and keep you is my prayer. And I do know that we are, we're, concluding, we're concluding this session where God breathes, and we certainly thank him for breathing into our midst, into our city, into our state, our nation, our world. We thank God for breathing. And God, we give you glory for this session. We give you glory for breathing the breath of life in the man, keeping life in man. We thank you that your breath uh, can breathe life into this pandemic hour. Many are talking about personal choices, but this is about a public ordeal. And so public actions need be taken. And so we thank you for being in the midst of it all, for we know that you watch over the process, that you be glorified, and we gain the good from it. In the name of Jesus, even our Christ, we pray. Amen. You just heard speakers from the 2021 Betty Davis African American Summit on COVID-19. Before that, we heard an excerpt from a recent Talk of Alaska discussing the Omicron variant. If you missed part of this show or would like to hear more like it, head to the Addressing Alaskans page on alaskapublic.org. I'm Ammon Swenson. Thanks for listening. Addressing Alaskans is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Theme music is by Patrick Lee. The views expressed are those of the hosts and participants and do not reflect KSKA or its underwriters. To let us know about an upcoming community event that you would like to hear on Addressing Alaskans, go to our website at alaskapublic.org and click on Contact Us at the bottom of the page. Life Informed. This is Alaska Public Media.